The streams rose and the winds blew and the beat again. I want to ask this morning, starting off, is what is this rock that the scripture talks about? What is this foundation? That's not a rhetorical question. So what is the rock that he's talking about in the scripture? What is the foundation that the wise and the foolish man put on it? Sorry? Jesus Christ. I heard Jesus Christ down the front. Christ is the word. We quite often would think that Matthew 16, when Jesus gathers his disciples and and says, who do you say I am? And some say Moses and Elijah. And and then Peter answers that, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus replied. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I build my church, that revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's the foundation. That is a foundation, but it's not the foundation that, that this piece of Scripture is talking about. The Word. The rock here, the foundation that separates the foolish men and the wise men is the application of the word of God. You see, this is the last piece of right, uh, last piece of wisdom that Jesus gives to the crowd as he wraps up his sermon on the mount. He says to them, and he gives them this parallel that whoever hears the word of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man, but whoever hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is the foolish man. You see, it's the application of the word of God that will determine whether you live your Christian lives wisely or foolishly. But you can't apply what you don't know. You don't know what you don't learn. You don't learn what you don't study, and you don't study what you don't value. But you can't apply what you don't know, but you don't know what you don't learn, and you don't learn what you don't study, and you don't study what you don't value. But you don't value it because sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes we don't understand it because we want our lives to fit around it, instead of our lives fitting around the Scriptures. So it's confusion. We read it for information, instructions, for answers when we need some. But we don't read it for relationship, to see more of God. The amazing thing about the Bible is that it has all those things. It has information. It has instructions. It can give us the answers to life. But if we treat it like a rule book, if we treat it like a roadmap or an instruction manual, we will miss all the heart of what God's got for us, isn't it? So ladies would know this. Uh, scenario better than, better than most. And I thought the best way that I could present this scenario is if Dave, David Attenborough was to narrate this scene. So I have to put up with my attempt to be David Attenborough, and I'll try not to laugh because I find it quite funny. All right, here we go. Here we have the male species. And like all male species, lies within him is innate drive to navigate life on his own. We see this more commonly take place whenever the female of the species brings home a new, elaborate piece of furniture that needs to be assembled. (laughs) The first thing the male does is to discard any regard or need for the instruction manual and from their attempts to the constructions. It's at this stage that all the juveniles depart from the room for their own safety. (laughs) You will also see this on family vacations or on any long journey. You will not find a map of any kind on or near the male. We are not quite sure how, but the male believes that in his instinct or gut, he has a superpower that the females have yet to evolve in. (laughs) And when the female offers advice or support or direction, the threat of all potential mating opportunities go out the window. (laughs) But the female really knows that they are only threats because she holds all that power. (laughs) Amen? See, guys have this, this, this she'll be right kind of attitude. This, I've got this, it comes to, when it comes to things like that. 
And I think sometimes we can treat God's Word exactly the same. See, this morning I want to show you the value of God's Word in your life because when you value it, you study it. When you study it, you learn from it. When you learn from it, you apply it. And when you apply it, the Word of God says you can stand against anything that the enemy throws at you. So come on. Who wants to be able to handle their trials, their challenges, their temptations better and come out the other side with their feet firmly planted on the ground? Yeah? Come on. Father God, this morning, we ask that your Word of God speaks to us direct from the throne room of God. God, I pray that the words that flow through me are your words, that they pierce our hearts, that we hear them and we apply them. Because God, I know that every single one of us wants to live wise lives and not be the foolish man who doesn't apply them or put them into practice. So God, help us. Help us to grab the value of your word, the gift that it is, the life that it brings. And may we just, in our own way, grow this morning closer to you because of your revelation through the word of God this morning. Amen. So now who's excited about the word of God this morning? Come on. That's awesome. See, the Word of God is your defence in troubled times. It's your foundation to stand on so that you cannot be shaken or moved. It's your light in troubled time. Your Word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. It's our food, our nourishment, and what sustains us. Man cannot live on bread alone, but on the very Word that proceeds out of the Word of God. It's your weapon against the attacks of the enemy. In Ephesians 6, God gives us the armour of God and He gives us a weapon the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's our only offensive weapon we have. When Jesus was led into the, into the desert and was tempted three times by the enemy, what did he say? Scripture, it was written. Awesome. The Bible tells us to resist the devil and he will flee. But we can't do that in our own strength. You and I, we're not strong enough. But we can declare the Word of God into our situations. No, I will not fear because the Bible tells me, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. No, I am not alone for God's word said that he will never leave me nor forsake me. No, I am loved because the word tells me that he chose me before the foundations of the world, that I would be holy and blameless before him in love and that he has adopted me into his family. No, I will no longer have to feel shame and condemnation because God's word says there is no shame and condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No, no, no. Why? Because it is written. Come on. God's word is powerful and alive. God wants to reveal himself to us more and more. And the best way that I've learned to get to know him is through reading through relationship. Reading to get to know God, his love and his grace and his mercy. I can see it all in here. And it's amazing. You see, my relationship with God exploded when I intentionally spent a year or two at Vision College studying Him. I learned more in the first year at Vision College about God than I did in the previous 20 years of sitting in the church. See, I used to listen a lot about God, but studying His Word, my goodness, it came alive and it allowed me to see Him more and more. God has really been showing me how awesome He is through Scripture of Self Late. So this morning, I want to show you the sort of journey that God has been taking me on as I read his scripture. You see, I listen, I like to listen to other teachers and preachers, and I don't listen to a lot. I listen to a small amount. And the reason I say it's small is because I'm learning for me in this season that I'm in, that if something sparks my interest, 
it's an invitation for me from God to go digging. So I dig. You see, some of you can read three or four books at a time or watch three or four Netflix series at a time. I can't do that. I get confused too easily. And so I know when I'm reading something in it or I'm listening and something sparks out to me, that's where God says, whoop, that's where I want you to dig. That's where I've got gold for you. So I, so I dig. And it's so much fun because in my digging, I actually end up going all over the Bible. I actually end up listening to other different people as, they, as I seek for wisdom and, and stuff about what they say. But the greatest thing that I've learned in the two years of studying was to ask this question. How did the audience at the time hear what was being said? What was the culture like? What was happening at the time? Who was in power? What was the feel of the atmosphere and the settings where this was taking place? Like, what was the location? What were the conditions like? When you start asking those questions, oh my goodness, the Bible comes alive. See, the Bible is timeless. It's timeless in its principles and its values and what God teaches us, but culture and language and settings and people have changed dramatically over the last few thousands of years. And so I want to understand the principle that is God's written to the people so that I can apply it accurately into my life, not try and make it fit my life. And so it's been pretty exciting. So I want to show you the revelation that God showed me over the last couple of weeks. And it comes in the form of an encounter that Jesus has with a paralyzed man. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John 5, verses 1 to 8. This is where we're going to camp for the rest of the morning. So I'm going to read it in a way that I used to read Scripture or sometimes commonly find myself reading Scripture. And then we're going to go back and read it with a little bit more digging. So we're going to read John chapter 5, verse 1. And this is the healing of the pool. So the pool of Bethesda. Some of you have heard that story before. John is the only gospel that actually records this miracle. It's interesting information for you. So verse 1 through to 8. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colonnade, covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Of verse 9. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. So here's my original thoughts when I read that scripture. So you can't judge me. Okay. Um, you know, Jesus heals the guy. Awesome. Woohoo! But honestly, that was my Christian response. That's mean, God. One person. I don't understand why Jesus would only heal one person when the scriptures tell you that there was a great number of people wanting to be healed. See, every time I see Jesus healing people, he healed everyone. And it just confuses me. That doesn't make sense, God. But what about the question that Jesus asked the man? <laughs> Do you want to get well? My first response, fleshly, well, that's kind of a stupid question, to be fair. Here he is, a paralyzed man for 38 years, been sitting in a pool, been an outcast from society, longing to get back in to society, to fit, to be whole. He's seen other people walk around freed from all ailments. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? To me, that's like, it's a bit of a stupid question. But, never mind. 
Jesus heals the man, and it's like, oh, that's awesome, cool. We go back to Jesus being amazing. Um, and that's how I read it. I was confused. It didn't make sense, but I trusted God that God knows what he's doing, and I just guess I'll have to go with that. Do you ever have those moments when you're reading the Bible? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. That's confusing. I don't understand it, but God, you are a God who knows what you're doing, so I'm just going to roll with it. So who wants to dig a little bit deep into the story? Let's have a bit of fun, eh? So verse 1 tells you about the location, right? It's in Jerusalem. Jesus is there for a feast. This is Passover. He's there, and he's walking through Jerusalem, and he comes to this place called Bethesda. So Bethesda in Hebrew means house of grace. So that's lovely, isn't it? It's very nice. Now, to be honest, I'm not really interested too much in the five colonnades and that sort of stuff, but here's an interesting fact. Before the 19th century, they actually didn't believe this miracle took place because they couldn't find the pools. So in the 19th century, they discovered the pools of Bethesda and excavated them, and it's like, oh, it actually, here it is. It's true, but for years, for thousands of years, it was just a story to make Jesus look better. So it's pretty crazy, I thought. So if you want to see a picture of the First, picture what the pools of Bethesda look like for you. Because I'm going to show you a picture of what they look like. Anybody been there? No? Oh, this is going to be a fun morning. Right, we throw the first picture up this morning. Ooh, that there is the main pool of Bethesda. That's the depth. It's about 100 metres long by about 30 metres wide by about 40 feet deep, which is about 13 odd metres. See the person on the right there on the red shirt? Probably not what you pictured. The pool of Bethesda's. <laughs> yeah, definitely what, wasn't what I thought of. I think most of us probably would have thought of a nice little quaint square ceramic tiled pool. But this is what the pool of Bethesda looked like. Now think about the paralyzed man for a moment. Here he is paralyzed for 38 years and the story tells that when an angel stirred up the water, the first one in gets healed. So the, let's pretend that the the paralyzed man finally gets into the water only to realize he's a second late. He's number two, and he doesn't get his miracle. It's a bad day at the office, isn't it? <laughs> Sinks to the bottom. Oh, bad timing on my part. It's crazy. He's paralyzed. He's not going to be a swimming too much, is he? Now, if you were to take a tour around the site with one of the top Jewish leading experts, not your regular tour guide, because your regular tour guide will tell you what you want to hear. They'll tickle your ears. Okay? But an expert in the Jewish history and the culture, which and unfortunately you actually have to be invited to go on a tour with them. It's one you just can't sign up for. But I know someone that's been on one. So that's exciting. So I've talked to him and, and had a great conversation. He would tell you that they had all sorts of trouble with this pool. That the, in, the, in the old days it would flood all the time, and that all the water would go down the streets of Jerusalem and create a massive chaos. So they built these little side pools. So if we can have the next photo, oh, Jades. So in here, it's obviously a bit hard to tell, but there are sort of five separate different little pool areas, which is where they get the five covered colonnades from. There are actually five walls in amongst that. So this is a little bit more typical of what we were thinking. It's only about three to four feet deep. It's not too deep. There is seating all around it for the people to sit. So this is where the experts and the history guys would say this is where this miracle took place. This is also what you would call a mikvah. Now, a mikvah is a, where they would go and wash themselves and cleanse themselves so for ceremonial purposes. Remember when God tells 
uh, Moses that in three days' time he's going to come down from the mountain to tell the people to wash themselves and clean. This is what they would do. They would go and bath and wash their clothes. It's called a mikvah, which is pretty, pretty cool. Now, you see these holes that are in the side of them. Jades, have you got the next slide? Those little air ducts and holes. They are, they are to help control the water from the main pool by an aqueduct system that would flow and filter into the side pools, creating the stirring of the water. And you're thinking, what about the angel? See, story, oh, because we know the story is that uh, an angel would come down and stir the waters and the first one would be healed, correct? Who's got your Bible open? Can you read for me John chapter 5, verse 4? Anybody? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So an angel would stir the water. Who could not find John chapter 5, verse 4? It's not in there. <gasps> Found it. It's in a footnote for most people's Bibles. John chapter 4 where it talks about the angel stirring the water is actually not in most translations. The reason behind that is because the Jewish experts of the time debate and have arguments about what this means. So let me ask you another question. What was the main religion in Jerusalem at the time? Does anybody know? Okay, Judaism. It's actually Roman Caesar worship. So they had upwards of 40 different pagan gods that they would worship. They had Zeus, Athena, Poseidon, Aphrodite, Ra, Anubis, Apollos, all these different gods that they would worship. And Judaism was just another form of a religion. So what's the point? See that plaque in the middle of the pool? That's there. Jaden, take you to the next page. Slide. Oh, yeah, see that one? <laughs> Go to the next one. That actually says that it's a temple to Seraphis. These were pagan pools to the god of Seraphis. There was a temple there dedicated to them, to this god who was the god of healing. So if you were to go to a Hebrew expert and you would say to him, question, yeah, but John 5 says, verse 4 says that an angel of God would come down and stir the water, he would say, you don't think that was a god, an angel from our god, do you? And we would go, mm, yeah, I was kind of thinking that's what it meant. But these are pagan pools. These are worship to a pagan god, Seraphis, the god of healing. So let's go to the next slide. And if you don't yet fully understand that, this is the billboard that's outside of the pools of Bethesda. So you've got the big red piece there. That's the main pools, right? That's where you find the big deep one where you don't want to swim if you're a paralytic. Go to the next slide, Jaden. Zooming in. So that's in there. So there we go. On the right-hand side, it says pagan medicinal baths. So it's actually common knowledge there that these are baths and pools that were worshipped to the god of Seraphis, the god of healing. So what does that mean? So what the experts would tell you in the history is that the Romans would were in charge you did what you were told, right? So they decided to tell people that when the waters of Bethesda were stirred, 
because they would control the outlet and the inlet of the flow from the main pool to the smaller pools, that we will tell them that the angel of, of the god of Serapis was staring the water, and the first one to get in would be healed, hence putting a premium on all the seats around the outside. This, they would tell you that this was Roman extortion of one of the nastiest kinds. No one would actually get healed because what they would do is they would plant someone there who would pretend to have a healing, pretend, pretend to have an ailment, and when they knew that the waters were about to be stirred, they would jump in with their pretend ailment, the waters would stir, and they go, oh my goodness, the angel has healed me, I've been healed, I've been set free, and in fact they were healed all the time. So the premium, the seats got more and more and more because the people that had ailments and had diseases wanted to be back in society. They were outcasts. They were pushed aside. It was just absolutely amazing. So one day Jesus happens to come along and he's watching because Jesus is an observer and he asks questions, you know, like what's going on here? Well, when an angel comes down and stirs the water, the first one in gets healed. Jesus says, hmm, an angel, you say. And only the first one gets healed. And he has to be in the water. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it happen time and time again. And he says, well, what about this guy over here? What's his story? Well, that's, that's Bob. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. He's been coming and he can't get into the water. So he's trying to get his healing. Now everyone's watching Jesus. Jesus goes over to the man, bends down to him and asks him, do you want to get well? Basically, he's saying to the gentleman at this stage, if you understand it, you want to put your faith into something that's not there to, to rob you? Are you sick of living in a broken system? Do you want to put your faith into something that is more than what you've been searching for for 38 years? And he goes, yeah. And he says, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And with everyone watching, without the water, without the angel, the Serapist, Jesus heals a man. He smashes all the Roman corruption, breaking a broken system that was holding people in bondage. And what's worse, he also did it on a, on a Sabbath day, which messes with the own religious teachers of his religion. Talk about a savage Jesus. He smashes everything. See, the Bible is fascinating when you start digging. And God's been opening up these sort of behind-the-scenes stuff for me to see him more. And so in those small eight verses, when God stopped me and wowed me, I was transformed from something that was confusing, that it didn't quite make sense. God, you were mean. To God, you're unbelievable. You're unbelievable. To heal one man, to break a whole system. Come on, what an amazing God we serve, eh? See, reading God's Word is the most amazing benefits for us if we read for a relationship and not regulation. And I want to give you five benefits of God's Word in your life, just quickly. Daily reading builds discipline, number one. Daily reading will build discipline. Matthew 6, 11 says, Give us today our daily bread. Daily is important to God. Now, I know that there are seasons where that currently doesn't happen, but God desires to meet with us daily, to reveal himself more and more to us through his word and each and every day. 
Can you imagine a relationship where you don't talk to your wife or your spouse for a day, or two days, or a week? Not much of a relationship. But God wants to meet us with meet us every day, and that takes discipline. And if that's not currently happening for you, can I suggest that there may be something that's broken within you that God wants to heal, a mindset or a habit or an attitude. See, God's word is full of life and of love and adventure, and it's the greatest book you will ever read. Oh, but I'm not a reader. That was my excuse. I just don't like reading. I'm not good at it. I'm a slow reader. I don't understand most of it. But what God showed me with all my I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, God said to me one day, I'm a making excuses. Yes, I was slow at reading. Yes, I didn't understand much. But any muscle that is weak won't work very well. And it takes discipline to grow that muscle, daily discipline. And for some of us, it's time to start working out our reading muscles. Number one benefit is it builds discipline in our lives. Number two, milk makes us fat, but meat makes us strong. Milk makes us fat, but milk, meat makes us strong. If you look at nature, milk is used to grow fat little babies into big fat babies. Right? That's the purpose of milk. You know, if you're in a dairy sector, you're trying to get your calves up to 100 kgs as fast as you can, you feed them as much milk as you can to get them there. The Hebrew writer actually gives a little dig at the people at church. In Hebrews 5.12, he says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk and not meat. See, people turn up to church all across the world, by the way, every Sunday lining up to get their weekly little feed of God's word, expecting that that's going to make them mature. They line up and you Here's your little milk bottle full of meat, of milk. People turn up to Sunday thinking that that's what they need. It's going to make them. It's going to sustain them. And then we get the, and then some get the cheek to turn around and say that we're not feeding you enough. It's actually everybody's personal responsibility to feed themselves daily with the Word of God, to be weaning ourselves off the basics and to dig deep into God's Word because God wants us all to be teachers, to be out there sharing His love and His his experiences with others. And the, word, and the Word of God is what we need to, in us to flow out of us. We need meat. Sorry, you vegans, but we need meat. Grow the meat lovers. Come on. But we need it. We need to get ourselves off milk. We need to stop turning up on a Sunday thinking that's your substance that's going to get you through the week. We do our part, but you've got to do yours. Okay, we need to be meat eaters. Yeah, in the Word of God, <laughs> just in case. I don't want to get in trouble with that one. See, number three, God speaks through Scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active. Amen? Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. God's Word is alive. There is no other book that will speak to you and guide you and encourage you and lead you into the greatest relationship that you can ever have. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve, the purpose for which I sent it. 
See, God's promises are yes and amen. We've declared that this morning. That's why the wise man who put the words of God into action can stand firm in the midst of a storm because his word can speak into storms and make them stop or change the direction or leave you without being burnt or smelling like smoke. See, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego got put into a trial of fire. The angel of God turned up not to extinguish the fire, but to stand with them in it. That was revelational for me. Quite often I want God to put my fire out, and God says, no, you declare the word of God in your situation, and that'll put the fire out, but I'm going to stand with you in it. See, we need to be declaring the God of word, but you can't apply what you don't know. You don't know what you haven't studied. You don't study what you don't learn. You can't apply it if you don't value it, right? See, God's words declare your identity, your purpose, your calling. But more importantly, that declares who he is. It's about him. His word allows us to get to know him more and more and more. Number four, revelations build relationship. So I don't know about you, but every time that something jumps out of the scriptures in me, it wows me. I get to see more of God and it draws me closer and closer to him, to one another one. I want another revelation, God. What else have you got for me? See, when I stand on the revelation of his word, I've seen miracles. I've just seen a miracle in the last two weeks in our family because we stood on and declared the word of God in our situations. We just said a prayer about favorable settlements. Have we just received the most favorable settlement in our situation with the house we're about to purchase? My goodness, because I got to stand on God's word in my situation. Oh, it's powerful. It's absolutely amazing. But you can't live out of someone else's revelation. You might give up. You might get some hype for a while, but it's their revelation and not yours. God's got revelation after revelation after revelation for you, and they lie hidden in his word. So we say quite often around here that God doesn't hide things from you. He hides things for you to find, to discover, to see more of who he is. You imagine kids at an um, Easter egg hunt. They run, they're searching, they're looking, they find their Easter egg. They're, woohoo, it's exciting. They don't hug the egg. I've never seen that. They always run to the provider of the egg and go, thank you so much. No, it's like that, God's word. When I get a revelation out of the scriptures for God, I don't go, wow, that revelation was amazing. No, it's God, God, you are amazing. Thank you so much for that revelation. Thank you that you have shown me an aspect of you that I never saw before. You can't live out of someone else's revelation. We've got to search the scriptures and we've got to dig deep for ourselves. Are you hungry to go digging? Because God's word is filled with gold for you. Let's go digging. It's fun. It's exciting. The fifth one is generational blessing. The benefit of God's word in your life. Generational blessing. We all think it's pretty cute when your one or two-year-old starts to lift their hand in worship or whenever a song comes on. Now a little girl, Charlie's just starting to do that. So you put anything on the TV and it's a song, even if it's a kid's advert that sings, her hands are up. And then we go, oh, she's a little worshiper. So cute. But where did she get that from? Watching, observing, copying, imitating. My favorite scripture of all time is Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Reminds me to stay humble and to see what God is doing and copy that. It's right there in God's word. Our children imitate us. 
So the challenge that I want to ask you and the challenge that I'm asking for myself, when it comes to reading the Word of God, what are my children seeing? If you don't have children, what do others see? Now, I know that some of us like to have our quiet times and we reserve our Bible reading for that. But are our children seeing the value, the priority, the desire of, in the, from us about God's Word? Are they hearing what you're reading? Are you sharing them with the revelations and the journey that you've got? Are you sharing the stories and the faith that you are walking into? Because your children will imitate you and copy you. I want to see a generation that has a passion and a hunger, a value and a love for the Word of God that's daily, that's deep, that God can speak through them through the Word of God that's revelational and that in turn also becomes generational. That's what I want to see. And it starts with me not treating God's Word with discontent as a roadmap, as an instruction manual, but to read it for revelation, to do it daily, to go deeper, to capture what God's got for me, but not to keep that for myself, to share it, to be teachers, to be hungry, to be filled with meat, to be strong. So when a storm comes, my feet's planted on a strong foundation of the application of God's Word in my life. I don't want to get blown off. I don't think any of you want to get blown off your, your house. Foundation is the key. I want to see that. See, Jesus breaks all the rules all the rules that stopped them from living in a corrupt and broken system through one miracle. I wonder what broken systems we live under when it comes to reading the Word of God. I wonder what benefits that we are missing out on because of a wrong mindset or a wrong attitude because of God's Word. Is reading the Word of God for you a have to? And because it's a have to, I don't really want to. Or it's boring. I don't get anything out of it. Is it, is it a chore? Is it more hard work for you than it is enjoyable? Are you reading it to tick the boxes of being a good Christian just in case someone comes and asks you? What did you read today? Well, I've got an answer for that. Tick the box. What about the system that you've set a goal to read your Bible in a year and you're reading and something jumps out at you, but you're like, I've got to finish my four chapters or I'll miss my goal of reaching the Bible, reading the Bible for a whole year. So you push on and you miss the revelation that God's got for you. That's a religious structure. God's got gold and nuggets and we've got to be able to, to breathe and pause and go, whoa, what have you got for me there, God? Religious structure will tell you that you've got to set this pattern. All of a sudden, it's an instruction manual. It's a have to, not I want to. We read to see God in it. And in doing so, do we miss the point of reading God of it in the first place? Relationship. God wants to reveal himself to us through his word. Are we doing it daily? So if God has highlighted something to you today, I really felt strongly throughout the week that God wants to break some things off some people's lives today when it comes to the value of God's Word in your life. If you resonate with any of those rhetorical questions, if it's boring for you, if you don't understand it, if it's a structural thing, if there is a, a mindset, if there is a, a, a religious structure that you're stuck in and that the Word of God is boring, don't understand it, then I really feel that God has said that he wants to break that from you because he's got revelation for you. He's got relationship for you. And so I'm going to invite you, uh, those who are struggling, to, to stand. And I have been in this situation, and I no doubt, hopefully I won't, we'll have a season where 
I haven't been as intimate with God and His Word as I should be. I want to invite you to stand because I believe God wants to break some stuff today. And I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity to be free because the, who the God sets free is free indeed. And I want you to walk freely and I want you to be able to embrace the Word of God. I want stories in God's Word to jump out at you that you wow and that you're amazed by, that you can then take and share with other people. So if that's you, I want you to stand, whether you are struggling with the Word of God in any way, shape, or form. And I don't, there is no shame and condemnation. God wants to set you free. Come on. Let's not miss the freedom that God's got for us. God is good. And I'm standing because at times the Bible's dry for me. But I, you know, I was reminded a little while ago that sometimes when I get to the genealogies and the numbers and all that sort of stuff, I'm like, ooh, ooh, skip. But I know that there will be a time when God says, that that's where I want you to dig and there'll be gold there. But I want you to dig where God's got gold for you. But it's a daily devotion, a daily discipline. God wants to grow your muscles this morning. So I wanna pray for you. And you know the battle that you have. I don't need to know it. This is between you and God and God wants to break something for you this morning because his word is life. His word is alive. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you for the power of the word of God. Thank you for the, just the adventure that is in this book. That it can speak, that it can direct, that it can lead. But God, I thank you that it shows us more and more of who you are. God, for those that are standing this morning, I believe strongly that you said that you were going to break some things within them this morning. And so I pray in faith that you will do the breaking, that you will take away the mindsets, the attitudes, the barriers, the the excuses that are stopping these ones from seeing you in the Scriptures. God, we come against the enemy who wants to rob these ones of, of the joy that you have for them in the Word of God. God, we pray for fresh revelations. We pray that these ones that are standing will go back and they will pick up the Word of God and you will lead them and guide them into a fresh revelation of of who you are for them. God, we know that you are a God who likes to set people free. And so God, as they stand here and as they, in their spirit, say, God, I need help in this area. I know that you are a God that can meet anyone and in any area and at any time. You are a chain-breaking God. You are a mind-changing God. And so, God, we thank you that you are doing a work in these ones' lives. Father God, I thank you that the Word of God is going to come alive for them in a way that they've never experienced or ever thought possible. God, I pray that every time that you invite them and reveal to them a little piece of gold, that they dig deep. That God, that you will awe them and you will wow them with how amazing you are and that their relationship goes deeper and deeper with you personally. Father God, that their experiences in the Word of God can be shared as a testimony to others, to be an example to their loved ones and those that have uh, an encounter with. Father God, come and break. Come and set free in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come and bring a peace 
because your word says there is no shame or condemnation. And God, I pray that as these ones read the word of God, that they can be seed sown into fertile soil, that in times of storms, in times of challenge, in times of fire, that they can declare the word of God in their lives. It has power that can resist the enemy and he will flee because of the word that is richly ingrained in them. God, we honour you. We thank you in your precious name. Amen.